1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode and I'm back here with Angela James from Sydney Pelvic Clinic. Hi everyone. It's <laughs> the <laughs> so off. So Angela's a physiotherapist that specializes in pelvic health for not just women but also men and children as well. And when we finished talking last time, I always have a chat with the guests when I finish because there's always stuff that I've finished questioning them about. And we started talking about, well, there was two things. One of them was how unaware we are about our pelvic floor and how can we get in touch with those muscles? How can we actually become aware? I suppose it's kind of like the posture thing. You don't necessarily, my husband sticks his chin out like this and he's not necessarily aware that he's doing it and we all have those little things that we do That we're completely unaware of. So we wanted to have a conversation about that. This is completely unplanned, by the way. But it just seems really important because it is something that for most of us, we have no idea what it feels like to clench our pelvic floor or to hold our pelvic floor or to release our pelvic floor. Because that was the other thing we were talking about was a lot of women, when they get pregnant have problems with weak pelvic floors, but then a proportion of women have problems with very tense pelvic floors. Let's start with that one first. How do we become aware of it? And what are the actual logistics of figuring out how to connect with your pelvic floor? And are there ways of doing it I think that's what I need to that's where I'm going with it it's very long way
2: (laughs) that's great so you're right about it has to be brought into our conscious awareness for us to be able to influence it so that's the first point for sure so I really believe this is where women and particularly we're talking about women in this podcast need to have a pelvic floor muscle assessment because you just don't know. Otherwise, you might make an assumption that everyone's weak, but we know that's not the case. And particularly in certain populations, you're more likely to actually have tight pelvic floors. So if we tell people with tight pelvic floors to do lots of strength-based exercises, we may indeed be actually walking them in the wrong direction. And then you've got women who have really, really weak pelvic floors that they're so weak they actually can't contract, and that might be because they've had an injury to the pelvic floor in childbirth. So maybe they've overstretched the nerve that supplies the pelvic floor or maybe that pelvic floor has been so distended or injured that it just doesn't have the capacity to contract to a level where you can actually consciously feel. So because of this large discrepancy in what the pelvic floor can do we can't make assumptions we have to have it assessed so that would be my first message is to have your pelvic floor assessed and then it really does depend on what you find in that assessment to what you need to do so Quite clearly, a a really weak muscle needs help to get started and to get going and lead towards a, you know, a decent program, a decent strength-based program predominantly. And a pelvic floor that's really tight has to start at that point of actually learning to let go and learning to relax and regaining that elasticity and flexibility. Yeah, I totally hear that idea of like bringing that conscious awareness to it and then getting specific information about where you sit on the spectrum of pelvic floor function and then being able to get the right sort of exercises or interventional help to help bring your pelvic
1: floor to its optimal place of function. And this is where that embarrassment, shame, that kind of thing comes in. What does a pelvic floor assessment entail? So there's different
2: options. The gold standard would be an internal vaginal exam where it involves a gloved finger with lubricant and the gloved finger goes and assesses the pelvic floor. Now, the reason that's gold standard with a suitably trained pelvic health physio is because you don't miss anything. You don't miss the imbalance between the left and the right. You don't miss if it's high tone. You don't miss if it's dominant at the back and really not much happening at the front. You don't miss sort of the elasticity component. So it's a much more thorough assessment. However, there's two other ways and that's using, well, ultrasound assessment. And the ultrasound is a diagnostic ultrasound. So like what you'd be familiar with if you were looking at your baby, uh, we can look at the pelvic floor using an ultrasound from the tummy. So it's not as invasive, but it's nowhere near as accurate. But you can still get a picture of the movement, but you can't ascertain whether that movement is weak or whether it's not moving much because it's high tone. So it's sort of, you're still making an assumption, I suppose. You can also put that at ultrasound on the perineum, so outside of the body, around the vaginal area, and you can get another viewpoint of how the pelvic floor moves. It's really helpful for, for visual feedback but it still doesn't give you the whole picture. And the other option would be just an observation of the perineum. So you can see whether the vagina kind of closes and lifts with a contraction. And if you push down or strain, you can see if it's got elasticity. So, so yeah, there are different options. And, of course, you go with whatever the woman is comfortable with and consents to. It's really important because it's an intimate exam. But at the end of the day, the gold standard assessment would be an internal vaginal exam.
1: And that's one of the hurdles that we've got to overcome. And that's one of the things we, if we start talking about it, uh, about all of this kind of thing, then we're going to have less inhibitions, I suppose, about doing this kind of thing because it's a natural, it's so different to getting your teeth looked at in a way, but we've got all of these hangups around it. Yeah, it is interesting,
2: isn't it? We talked about in the last podcast that idea about shame. We somehow inherited that script somewhere and it doesn't serve us because it keeps us disempowered and unaware. And the antidote to shame is disclosure and getting rid of that secrecy and and being able to talk openly and having the language to describe your experience or even your female genitalia. Yeah, so there's a lot to that conversation about where did we where did we inherit the shame script and and is that benefiting us or is that actually keeping us in a place of darkness and and disempowerment and are we suffering more because we're not connected or open with that area of our body but yeah you're right the way to break that down is conversation and normalizing you know a very important part of our
1: body yeah and going back to what you were saying, then, something that struck me as you were say, as you were talking about it was you said there can be imbalances between the right and the left of the pelvic floor and imbalances between the front and the back. Mm. How does that work?
2: Talk mm. through that one. It's probably more common than not to have asymmetry in the pelvic floor, so. Very often a woman, particularly who's been pregnant and and had a vaginal birth, has differences in the elasticity and the strength in one side, and I'm sure that probably comes down to how the baby has moved through the vaginal birth canal. So one side might have got the shoulder and the other side might have got, you know, a nick of the head or something, or if there's been forceps used or an episiotomy, anything that changes um, what's happened to either side of the pelvic floor. And it's also very common that the area that's been most affected, particularly with something like forceps or a really big um, baby, a big head, is the, where the pelvic floor attaches to the front of the pelvis on that pubic bone can be very weak or it can actually be detached. So it's quite common to feel that real discrepancy or difference between um, what the back wall can do because that maybe haven't hasn't been injured and what the front wall can do and and obviously the front is the area that supports the bladder so for conditions like stress urinary incontinence or anterior vaginal wall prolapse so that's where it really helps to have that really thorough assessment because then you know how to target the intervention you know maybe it's letting go of the back part and maybe it's really strengthening the front part or trying to do unilateral pelvic floor exercises which is complex but possible yeah so it can start to become more fun and engaging too a lot of people think the exercises are boring but I think if you can really tune into your body and what you need and get a program really targeted
1: to you it can be very um, engaging and empowering. Talk to me about because you were saying when the muscle comes away from the pelvic bone or the pubic bone Mm. what happens there because the the pelvic floor isn't just one muscle it's kind of strands isn't it is Mm. each strand individually attached to the pubic bone or how does it work yeah, it's
2: actually very complex, the pelvic floor. It's a it's a group of muscles. So you have and, and fascia. Um so that fascia is that spider web type tissue that connects the muscles to other muscles and the muscles to bones. Everything is an integrated unit. So you've got your superficial layer, which is involved in giving like that sort of tone and also contributes to sexual function. They have a really big role in sexual function. And then you've got a deeper layer, which sort of links around the bladder and the and the back passage, and um, gives support to the organs and closure to the vaginal space. So they have, um, they're part of the same unit, but they have different um, function. And most of them attach to the pubic bone. Um, so the puborectalis, which goes from the pubis, the pubic bone, and links around the back passage, the rectum, and attaches to the other side. It's like a horseshoe muscle. And that's the horseshoe muscle that really stretches out to allow a baby to come through. So, an enormous challenge for the pubic erectilis at, at that moment. There's no bigger moment for the muscle, the day for, for it to shine, hopefully. But what will happen is you can imagine that horseshoe type muscle. So, if you take it to a stretch position and it's at its maximum stretch, and you take it further because you have to because that baby's head's just that little bit too big or if you add forceps in that means that you need to create even more stress and strain for the pelvic floor then an injury that can happen is the puborectalis can pull off the pubic bone to make space that's really what that injury is about is it's about creating more space Because the baby will find a way (laughs) to come through and that injury is called a levata avulsion and levada is the name of the muscle, another name of the muscle. The nomenclature gets complex, but levada ani is the name. And avulsion is pulling away from. So, yeah, so that, that can happen in about 30% of women, first-time mums. It's more likely to happen in your first birth uh, because that's when the muscle changes the most. And it's more likely to happen um, if you have a forcep delivery, particularly a rotational forcep delivery. So anything that can increase the strain and the stretch of the pelvic floor increases the chance of that, that injury happening.
1: I did have a question and my mind's just come with rotational force. It's just like, mm. oh, my goodness, the pain of that one. Oh, that'd be terrible. <laughs> Yeah. It's not
2: the best um, for your pelvic floor. So it's probably good for women to know if they have had a forcep delivery, particularly rotational forcep delivery, it's even more important to look at that pelvic floor function and get as much function back as you can. Yeah. Is there
1: any way of repairing that damage? They've tried.
2: There are some studies happening. Uh, I don't think there's uh, a gold standard yet because of the complex nature of the area. The pelvic floor muscle is quite thin. It has age-related changes with um, menopause. So it, it dries out and it gets less elastic. And we're constantly putting loads through coughing and sneezing and opening our bladder and our bowel. So it's it's a really tricky area. It's not as solid like a hip replacement or a knee replacement where you've got, you know, um, really strong um, surfaces that you can um, work with. It's, it's not like that. So Unfortunately, there's there's not a great solution for it yet. Perhaps in the future there will be, but at the moment, I guess it's work in progress.
1: What impact does that have on your body? If you've only got, and, and I actually sit in this this side because I know that on my left side, about half of the strands have come away. How does that impact your whole body? Because if your pelvis is the central stabilizer for the rest of your body going up and down how does that imbalance so my right side's a lot stronger than my left how does that impact everything oh and that was the other thing while I think home because I'm going to forget this one is there like pre-birth is there a naturally stronger side like if you're right-handed is the right side of your pelvic floor stronger or I don't know does it work like
2: that so in terms of like pre it It doesn't seem to come up quite as much, like that that discrepancy between the left and the right pelvic floor. I mean, it it can, but not as much as the asymmetry that you see post-birth. But certainly what you can see pre-birth is differences in muscle tension. So you can have people, say, that have had hip pain. They've got tight internal muscles on that side or say they've had SIJ pain or pubic synthesis pain. Research has definitely shown us that they're more likely to have high tone because they've been in pain and they're bracing and trying to protect the area and that certainly can be asymmetrical. Um, But strength-based differences or, you know, length-based issues tend to come up more post-birth but tension can be there pre-birth and that's certainly something that you would want to know about before you go into vaginal birth because as we talked about, you're really taking that muscle to its maximum stretch capacity. And the more uh, easy it can stretch, obviously the better outcome for that pelvic floor. So we're actually strong advocates for again, having a good assessment at that critical moment. There's key moments in a woman's life where she would really benefit from having an assessment. And I think at that 35, 36 week mark, if you're heading to a vaginal birth, it's a really good idea to look at the priority around stretch and starting to get a little bit more tuned into how does that feel and does my pelvic floor stretch and do I need a little bit more work on one side than another and am I able to really let go with this um, stretch sensation and, yeah, so... I think that's a really worthwhile thing to do because you don't want to find out that your pelvic floor can't stretch when you're in the moment. Or when you push, we know some women actually push down and then contract their pelvic floor and they start to work against the natural process of labor. So it's sort of like, I don't know where we got this from, but somewhere along the line, we kind of had our head in the sand and just like waited for the day and expected all to be okay. But that does. That's not the case and it's not the way we address anything else in life. We we prepare for big moments and if we prepare well, um, we, we have more influence, not total control, but we have more influence over the outcome. And I feel like it's the same thing um, with women being empowered about what their bodies need to do and how they can facilitate that. And if there is a barrier to that happening, then what can we do before the moment comes where we're not finding out these surprising things that not very helpful um, and maybe compromise our outcome or put us at a high chance of injury so that was the first part of your question what was
1: the second part of your question oh no you answered it first so it was about are you natural if you're right-handed have you got more strength on the right hand side so you answered that one first and then you went Mm. on to that but thinking about that because I had the issue of my everything being too tight or, mm-hmm. or my inner core being too tight when I was particularly when I was pregnant with my first child but when I because I've got four kids on my fourth pregnancy I had a friend who did birthing hypnotherapy and I remember that birth was so much easier than the others because it was just I'd go inside and I'd just visualise like a flower opening, basic or something like that, I can't remember. But it was something like that. And by the time I got to the hospital, I was fully dilated. So it really worked for me in that scenario. And it's interesting that you say that because I do think that prior to that I was probably doing that acting against myself, pushing down but tensing up at the same time because it and hurts, My us face facts. <laughs> it's not yeah. very nice on the perineum and the pelvic floor. It hurts. Right. It's a
2: bit of a paradox because normally in life if we experience pain, we protect and we pull away and that means creating tension However, in labour and vaginal birth, we do have pain or strong sensation. We should probably reframe it to help our bodies respond to it. In our best interest, we need to be letting go. The more we let go, the more we relax. It's almost like our physical body just needs to step out of the way for our powerful uterus and cervix to kind of do its thing. And the more we kind of tighten against that, the harder it is for the uterus to achieve its goal, which is to bring us our baby to the outside world. And so the the uterus gets fatigued and labour slows down and it all starts to go in the wrong direction. And I do believe, again, this comes to really educating the woman. And I think the hypnotherapy is a way of empowering you with strategies to facilitate the process to get a better outcome And like everything in life, the more we understand it, the less we fear it. And that's so important with birth because the minute fear comes in, then cortisol and adrenaline's up, oxytocin, which is your, you know, love, birth, um, feel-good hormone, drops right back and everything slows down and the muscles get tight. So and it makes sense if you're having this huge moment, you know, in in your body and you're not quite sure. Or what to do and it hurts and it's huge you will naturally tense so the only way to I think provide an antidote to that is education empowering women with the knowledge of what's happening in their body and give them strategies to help them positively influence it to help get a better outcome so I think it comes down to yeah again raising awareness and understanding what's happening and then positive action to help facilitate the best possible outcome for your body.
1: What else can we do? Because we were talking in the last episode about <laughs> vaginal weightlifting, which is still, I'm really sorry. I'm picturing somebody in you know, one of those weightlifting suits with something popping out of the bottom. <laughs> it's not like that at all. But I, I said in the last episode, I think. For most of us, it's kind of like you know, if you have an internal exam. I've been to the physio to to because I had a op- big operation a few years ago, and then I had to go to the physio to help me recover from it. And the internal examination was, even though I've had four children, it's the most dreaded bit. You know, it's it's the hesitating bit, and then also just trying to get that out of my head and into my pelvis. And okay, can I feel my pelvic floor? And it was so much easier with something there for me to latch onto to go, okay, that's it. But there is a hurdle to get there. And is there other things that we can do to help us identify our pelvic floor? Yes, definitely. Yeah, so the pelvic
2: floor weights are something like right at the end of the spectrum. So if you've got yourself all the way up to kind of a really good level, then it's the last little thing that you can add in to take it up to that next level. But if we go all the way back to the beginning when the muscle's really weak, you need something to help you feel that connection. And sometimes you even need external stimulus to start that connection because it's so weak, Uh, so there are things that you do at that end to really help wake it up and wake the muscle up, but also wake your brain's connection up. And so that's where you can start to use technology to help. So there's electrical stimulation or using electromagnetic energy, which creates involuntary contractions. So there's something that helps helps you do it and there's different devices available out there to really kind of bring that early stage pelvic floor into a position where it can effectively work.
1: So is this like the, the, what are the machines called that like make your muscle you know you, you they put electrodes on your legs or your arms or something it makes the muscles just yeah thin. is it equivalent yeah. to that
2: yeah absolutely the same so you know say if you had a stroke um and you lost function in one of your muscles you can do electrical stimulation to to wake it up take it from that but not not action to some level of action so There's two main ways of doing that. So for the pelvic floor, there's um, electrical stimulation where you use an internal probe and it um, electrically stimulates a pelvic floor muscle contraction. So that's one way. And then there's um, also the electromagnetic energy, which um, comes from a chair. And the the latest technology that's now available in Australia is the M-cellar chair. So M-E-M, electromagnetic, and cellar is Latin for chair. And the beautiful thing about this M-cellar chair is that you're fully clothed. So any women, any woman that has issues with putting something internal, and, and people do, like not everyone is um, as comfortable as that as potentially we'd like to think. So the M-cellar chair allows you to come fully clothed and you, you sit on a chair um, and it, it sends electromagnetic energy through these coils, so through the chair. And as long as your pelvic floor is just above that so it's all about positioning then it creates involuntary pelvic floor muscle contractions in a really effective way so in you know 20 minute 28 minutes sit which is the treatment time for the m you actually get eleven thousand pelvic floor muscle contractions which is huge if i said to you okay your program is to do eleven thousand pelvic floor contractions in 28 minutes you just couldn't do that you really so it takes you Beyond where you could take yourself, and it's really helpful for those pelvic floor muscles that just don't have that kind of kickstart.
1: Does that make you really tired? Because that sounds exhausting. Yes, <laughs> it
2: is interesting. So the the programs uh, avoid fatigue because it puts rest breaks in there, like you would with your normal gym program. So you have periods of really high work, and then you have um, rest periods and it's titrated up to your level of function so there's different protocols and different intensities so sometimes you can be a little bit fatigued afterwards so we recommend women don't go and do like you know their exercise sessions immediately after um, and sometimes people can find just a little bit of incontinence like immediately after because the muscle can be a bit fatigued but it's temporary and it's for that longer term gain once you've sort of finished the session so yeah so it can be a really helpful way of like getting that kickstart and that boost so you can at least um feel feel it it makes it very obvious you have to feel it and then to be able to train it effectively
1: so what does it feel like is it just like when you've got the electrodes on your calf and it's yeah it does it, it can feel
2: a little bit strange because it's not you doing it to you so it's something else stimulating your muscle but you do settle in and you do get used to it you definitely accommodate it and in fact because we're so good at accommodating things and adapting, you need increased intensity through the sessions, whether it's the electrical stim with the internal probe or the something like the m you need to increase the intensity to make sure that you're creating further adaptation. So that's that principle of progressive overload so you know you put a load on you adapt that's great you've got to put another load on to keep adapting yeah so you've got that model of improvement um, as you do yeah whatever it is whether it's the yeah the e or your pelvic floor exercises or the M mceller
1: so this is for the very beginning so if you've never done pelvic floor exercises you can't identify your pelvic floor this is for that level is it or does it take it up to a higher level It can be either actually.
2: So I I think it's really effective um, with women that have very little connection and um, very little um, like uh, contraction. So not not a lot of contraction, not a lot of connection because it just wakes all of that up and then it sort of fast tracks that initial stage where people can feel not very motivated because they can't feel it and they have that kind of sort of helpless feeling with it because it's like it doesn't feel possible. So it like kind of shoots you through that moment So I really like it for that particular moment. But also, say you've got a decent level of function and you just want a a boost or really jump faster up your curve of improvement, then it can really help with that as well. And we'd like to think that everyone is very adherent to their pelvic floor exercises, but some women aren't. And so for the woman that just sort of likes to have something else, do it for her it can also be aligned to the way that she likes to do things as well so it it, you can use it at any point but I think it's particularly um, important if you have a very weak and poor connection to your pelvic floor because people go two ways there they either go I can't feel it I won't do it and they disengage which is really not helpful and that's why if you have something you go yes you can look feel it something else is and they're like oh yes I can and they're they're on their way <laughs> so I really like it because I know that it's a critical moment for a woman to turn towards or turn away.
1: So does it help at all with the internal prolapses? So like that we were talking in the last podcast about fair proportion of old women may actually prolapse completely so that everything falls out of their vagina can it help with that level of stuff or um, can it help with internal prolapses or is it Mm -hmm. literally just the pelvic floor itself yeah that's right so it's
2: it's not designed to treat prolapse um, because it's focused on um increasing pelvic floor function So we know that pelvic floor function, if you improve it and you kind of narrow the gap and improve its strength and coordination, which is what good pelvic floor muscle function or good pelvic floor muscle training does, that can reduce the bother of prolapse and can prevent prolapse. But if you've got stage three or four prolapse, which is, you know, falling out and sitting below the level of the entrance to the vagina it's not appropriate at that particular point. Yeah, you need something different at that moment. And what would that be? Well, so, <laughs> so <if it's laughs> prolapse at that level. So if it's stage three and four, um, you've got three options. You can either do nothing or you can do surgery or you can do pessaries or pelvic floor muscle training. That's probably important to put it in there. But Pelvic floor muscle training, I think is very effective for stage one and stage two. And you've got, we've got good evidence to show that it significantly reduces the symptoms and reduces the stage. And so I think if you catch it at that point, then yes, pelvic floor muscle training can be really helpful. But once you've got a decent level of drop, so again, sitting kind of outside the entrance to the vagina, this is where you need something to kind of prop it back up. Um, So the Pessaries is a conservative management option, so non-surgical. And I know a lot of people are very interested in non-surgical options um, now. And so that's great. I really, again, would love more women to know about their options, where it's a it's, it's a silicon device and they come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. There's so many different options, depending again on the on the woman, her, her prolapse, where it is and how big it is, and what size. Her vagina is. um, There's just so many different options. And what it does is it lifts and holds up the organ. So it it realigns um, the normal anatomy. It's a great idea because it is non-surgical and effective. That's a good option to consider. And then of course you've got surgery, and there's all sorts of different surgeries with all sorts of different success rates for the different surgeries um, that, that, that is out there. And that's probably a conversation more for a surgeon than for me. But from a conservative management option, um, when the prolapse is at that point, stage three, stage four, um, you'd be really looking at a, a, a vaginal support per, per to like put it back in and hold it there. And then pelvic floor train
1: (laughs) to close it down, to close the the space. Does the pessary, like if you have problems doing high impact sports Mm. or something, the pessary will give you comfort it's such a great that. idea like it's such a great
2: idea it's it's i s- explain it to my patients like a knee guard so if you had like a dodgy knee with you know some laxity in the ligaments maybe because you've damaged it skiing or something and you can do most things but if you go and i don't know play touch or do something that takes you out of the range that you can control you would wear a knee guard to brace it and to give you that extra level of support and capacity to do the tasks that you like doing and the pessary is the same. So it allows, like some women will just use it for that reason. So, they, you know, they're relatively comfortable most of their day and they don't want to be wearing this support device all of the time, but they really love running. And when they run, they feel that heaviness and that drag. They love weightlifting. And that's really important for so many reasons. So you can actually start to wear this device just in those moments to alleviate the symptoms and allow you to get on to whatever the activity is that you love. And so that's why it's great because you don't need to keep stepping further and further and further back from the activities that you love. And that's what happens. Like if you don't address it, you just subtly accommodate it and maybe that means you don't do that exercise but then you're not doing that exercise and then you're not getting the benefits of exercise on your bone density, on your mental health, on your cardiovascular system. So it ends up having quite a dramatic impact on your overall health. Where if you have simple things that you can alleviate the symptoms and then carry on, that also has a much bigger impact on on your health. So that's where the idea of pelvic health comes from: is that it, it's the centre of our of our being, and if it's well managed, we're able to do all things like move, exercise, cough, sneeze, empty our bladder and bowel, and you know we don't think about it, but when it's not right, we think about it quite a lot and we accommodate it if we accommodate it and we step further and further away from the activities that are actually, you know, contributing to our overall health. So yeah, you can see how it has a bigger impact than just lifting the organ up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that. And it'd be interesting to know what proportion of post-menopausal women have this kind of problem and and how many women would actually continue because I know myself I avoid things and I'm like oh no that's uncomfortable how many women would keep going with their sports or even yeah. doing stuff they end or trying things because yeah because it, it becomes uncomfortable as we get older not even necessarily through childbirth but just because We've got no estrogen because we're, you know, estrogen's dropped and everything else, mm, and it then becomes like a vicious cycle, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think it. I, I really do see that in my, in my patients is that if it's, you know, been something that they just slowly accommodated since childbirth, and and then they just kind of keep stepping back from their life. What's great is that when you address it and you provide a platform where they can go back. It's like this newfound joy of movement and exercise and the social interaction that you get from going to the gym with your friends or signing up for that walk or that event and the self-confidence that comes from just sort of getting back into those activities and feeling like you're capable and not broken again is just so, it's so important And you're right, like menopause is another critical moment because we've got two things happening. We've got the age-related changes to general um, muscle function. So, you know, unfortunately from the age of 40, if we're not tuned into exercise, we lose up to 30% of our muscle mass 30 to 50% of our muscle mass between the ages of 40 and 80, that's huge. And then we've got a double whammy with women that then you throw in the menopause in addition to aging and you strip the vulval vaginal area of estrogen and then that creates even more changes because our tissues become drier, brittle, less strong, less powerful. And so we're really um, vulnerable to pelvic floor muscle symptoms at that moment. So, so again, it's another key time to have that assessment and really make sure that those, that muscle function is being driven to avoid things that interrupt our activities and start to change the quality of our life.
1: Thank you so much for that. This, this podcast has just gone so quickly. I'm looking at the clock going, goodness. <laughs> we like to talk about don't we <laughs> such a, well it's really interesting because every time I talk to somebody like you I find out something that I really wish I'd known 30 years ago and I can't be the only one that feels like that and I also want to be able to talk to my daughters about this as well but the main thing it, it's about education and it's about getting over all those inhibitions that we've got about going to see a doctor or going to see a physio, having an internal exam, talking about whatever's going on with us and and not being embarrassed about what is a natural and normal bodily function or issue. 100%.
2: Yeah, that's right. It's creating that language communication dropping the shame script and then being able to move forward into actions that really help to empower us to live our best life and pelvic health is a big one if it's good yes it doesn't interrupt but when it's not good it has dramatic impacts on on quality of life and not knowing enough doesn't allow that woman to make decisions and take action that actually will really help her so Yeah, I am 100% on the same page in terms of just increasing the awareness and the education so women know um, what to do and when to do it and and where to find help
1: and being able to get the most out of her life. Thank you so much. Just tell me before you go, tell us all again how people can get in touch with you. And all of Angela's information will be on the webpage that goes with this podcast too. But just... Um yeah, yes. Yeah.
2: so the main the main place um, to find me would be our website uh, which has all of the things that we treat and has lots of um, condition specific information if you want to look certain things up. So that that's just uh, sydneypelvicclinic.com.au. And then we have um, two social media sites So we've got our Facebook where we share lots of great content. And then we've also got our Instagram, um, which is another community that we kind of connect with our our people. So, yeah, we'd love to see you there and happy to sort of ask questions um, and have you interact with those as well, which is another part of raising the awareness. So, But thank you so much for having me. I adore Talking Pelvic Conference. Thanks thanks for the opportunity.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Angela.
0: for joining us this week on menopause marriage and motherhood make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player and while you're at it we'd love you to leave us a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would be amazing too be sure to tune in next week for the next episode and remember if you're busy thinking about what you can't have how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have see you next week